how can we make sense of metas and Instagram's threads? And what about all of the other 2023 predictions we didn't get to cover in my roundup with Evelyn Freisan? As you know, technology moves super fast and the news likes to tout all the investments and future possibilities, but sometimes it's pretty far from reality. That's why my guest this week is Sally Arias. She's just the type of multi-hyphenate to get into tech predictions with me. I'm so glad she's here. Sally coaches founders to grow their business into solid, foundational, strong operations through clear strategy and mindset. She's a serial entrepreneur and leverages her own experiences as a founder and chief operating officer. Yes, I have watched her grow over the past nine years. It's been awesome. Sally is also a woman after my own systems engineering heart and brain, focusing on systems, processes, efficiency. Amazing. I cannot wait for this conversation. But first, welcome to this week's episode of Make Sense, a video podcast that simplifies complex issues at the intersection of tech and people. There are so many. So whether you're totally hyped on AI and you're ready for that robot takeover, or you wanna crawl into a cave after deleting all of your social media accounts, I'm here with my guests to help make sense of what's going on so you can design yourself into the future. My name is Lindsay Tabus. I am a product market fit strategist, innovation consultant, and venture fundraising advisor. If you are new here, subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. So let's make sense of Instagram's threads and a bunch of other tech predictions made for 2023. Are they hype or are they reality? Sally, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm so happy to be here with you. This is yeah. crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. I think just knowing that we have known each other for so, so long. Um, I actually have a question for you. Let's talk about me for a second. Okay. It is my show. <laughs> Sally, no. you're a self-described human x-ray machine. I caught this on your website. Human x-ray machine. Oh my God. And I would you never self-describe that. That actually came from a client of mine, like just for the people. Okay. I do not call my, that actually a client of mine said that to me. Cool. Well, you know, voice of the customer, you are supposed to use the words that your clients use to sell the product right back to them. So you and I have known each other mostly online for nine years now. What do you see from me beyond a surface skin? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Curveball. I didn't prepare you for this one. Hot seat, Lindsay. <laughs> I love it. Well, we did meet once in person. Twice. Actually, I remember. Twice. Yeah. Twice. I know. I, I said mostly. Online. Mostly. <laughs> um, I would say, so therefore I know too much. <laughs> but my engineer brain is going to do its little data thing, but it does. And... I would say that you are a fast innovator, really fast adapter, um, very creative, and really smart, obviously. Oh, thank you. Anyone um, that wants to call me brilliant is like, a, like you're on my good side right away. Yeah. But also because, yeah, you and you have your fingertip on the pulse, mm -hmm. which I think is really cool and, and fun to watch as an observer, as an outsider, because I can get very tunnel vision focused on solving problems and creating systems and processes specific for my clients and to get, give them the most out of what they need to understand about business. But you have this ability that I don't have to really have an awareness of the world and how it's shaping and how it's forming because every project you've ever done, you've always been like slightly ahead of the curve, which can be bad, as you know, mm -hmm. because when you're too early. Mm -hmm. I've suffered. I have definitely suffered from yeah. that. <laughs> when you're too early, it's actually not great because only the smart people can go, oh, she was really smart, but you were too early and you missed the like adaptation curve, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think that that's one of your superpowers too, is your ability to kind of read the waves of what's happening and, and your brain probably collects data in a way and can formulate 
what the data is kind of saying and what's going to happen, which you do that in a way in the industry that's really interesting and really valuable. And you should know that you should lean into that. In all Thank you. I uh, wrote some of these things down. I like to write compliments down on paper because sometimes they go in one ear and out the other. I know a lot of people listening can relate to that. So I write things down and I actually have like a post-it board so that I remember in my physical life that there are lots of people that support me. So thank you so yeah. much. I, and I love that idea. That's such a great idea. So I shall post a picture of the board. I, it, it is pretty cool, the couple boards that I have. So thank you so much for, for humoring me. I really appreciate that. We must share a common strength in individualization. Uh, I don't know if you've ever done your Gallup Strengths Finder or Clifton Strengths Finder. Mm -hmm. Individualization is the ability to catch up, uh, to pick up on people's unique uh, characteristics and capabilities very quickly. Uh, and then potentially, if you have some other skills, be able to adapt your communication and your approach based on their strengths. So, yeah. Yeah, you must be good at that, too, if someone's going to call you a human x-ray machine, which I love. <laughs> yes. I mean, I do think it's naturally why I've probably leaned into coaching is that's a childhood thing. You probably notice it as a kid that you can, like, figure out what's going on with people and what the gap is or what needs to happen. And, you know, in my in my career, I've taught dance. I've taught tango. I've taught, you know, fashion and business and Mm -hmm. product development. Um, and you learn a lot from teaching, but I always wonder, oh, I wonder if I'm a natural teacher because I have that skill. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. Cool. So, yeah. So Sally, let's jump in before, actually, before we jump into all the predictions, I texted you this morning and I was like, have you tried threads? And your response was kind of like, you haven't? <laughs> in a way. <laughs> and, and it's funny because I was on Twitter in April 2007. So like four months after it launched, everyone I knew thought I was crazy when I tried to describe Twitter. But nowadays, I am a little more reticent to jump totally on the bandwagon. I did not jump on threads last week. So we're into the segment. What do you know, this is where us relatively intelligent ecosystem insiders discuss what hot mess has made national news. We don't claim to be experts, but we may know more than you do. So Sally, you're active on Instagram, sharing all sorts of truthful, hard-hitting advice uh, for founders. So hit us with your experience signing up for Instagram threads. Well, I'm kind of surprised. I'm like, now I'm like, damn, I didn't I buckled under the pressure and Lindsay didn't <laughs> <laughs> like I had people DMing me and telling me to you you know, up your game. You gotta be stronger. Why don't you on here telling people what's up? And so I was like, okay, what is this? Because, you know, sometimes I live in my work cave. Okay. Um, I'm going to give my like honest opinion. It's actually been really ridiculously entertaining to kind of be there and be watching. Okay. So, Please tell me. First of all, like the whole thing, there was for the first two to three days, there was this whole theme of like, finally, a place I can be myself. Oh my God, like good vibes only everyone. Like just be yourself. Like come over here and be your goofy, authentic, no marketing, no business, don't sell anything, come be yourself. And I was like, well, first of all, I'm myself everywhere. Mm -hmm. So Number one, what, you know, first of all, I'm like, I missed the thread. Yeah. I, don't I am myself on LinkedIn. I am myself on Instagram. I am myself on Facebook. My content, my content marketing, my writing is all very, very me. When people get coached by me and then they meet me in person, they're like, oh, I feel like I really know you. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, because I am always myself. So I found it really interesting, number one, that people are kind of admitting and confessing that they are not being themselves on other platforms. Yeah. Really? Like I was like, wait, what? We're not being ourselves on other But I'm you know that there are like, I mean, one of the huge drawbacks of Instagram is that so many people are only showing, you know, yeah. 
the grass that is green, right? Yeah. So that was kind of, I was like, okay, this is going to play out really interesting. Also yeah. like positive vibes only guys and no marketing and don't speak about your business and don't give tips and don't give coaching mm -hmm. and don't say that you're an expert in anything. I was like, so we're well, going back to sharing what we ate for breakfast. Yes. That's what we did on Twitter in 2007. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, let's see how long this is going to last. This is really interesting. And then sure enough, day three, let's say, a few people start marketing and a few people start making jokes about now watch all the thread experts come out of the woodwork and say they're thread experts, which there are, what are we, day five, day six, there are plenty of them. You've got to be kidding me. Oh, yeah. There's people with the like name, the domain, like the at name thread expert or things like that in their in their titles already. Oh, boy. But then somebody gives a really well-known coach. I guess I guess some people were getting shade. Let's just say this. What I captured was people were getting shade for speaking about their next launch, their next product, their next thing or the, marketing their thing. People were getting shade for it. And so then someone says, well, why is it that everyone's getting shade for marketing their products and their expertise, but when Alex Hormozzi's entire thread account is all about the launch of his book coming up, no one says anything. And I was like, really? So I had to chime mm -hmm. in. Really? We're surprised by this? Mm -hmm. What? Like, yeah. because he has power and we're still humans and human nature works on this platform like it works on every other platform, guys. Yes. It's just been this like really funny shit show of like what are we playing at and the people that are like just be yourself just be funny there's so clearly people that are really good at written content and being clever and they're so clearly taking that approach to grow their audience but they're sure. saying just be yourself and be fun it's like it is still a marketing platform number yeah. one and you are marketing yourself right now by saying what you're saying yes there is nothing wrong with nobody calling alex hormozzi out because the truth is you all want to be his friends or you want to be like him or you want to be him or you want him to invest in you. Yeah. Who is Alex Hermosi? Great question. Okay. Am so, I an idiot for not knowing? No, so in my, because in my, I'm, a, you know, I'm in the business coaching corner of the world, world yeah. and Alex Hermosi is one of those, he wrote the $100 million offer and he's launching a book called $100 million worth of leads, 100 million leads. He's a $100 million entrepreneur through... Click funnels, which mm -hmm. I don't subscribe to. So I'm not like, not so supporting. So he's kind of like on the Lewis Hose track or the. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the thing I is forget who else was really into funnels in like 2017 that everyone was following. I went down that road too. I don't know that it really works for people that aren't selling marketing stuff. You know, like it works yeah. for people that. We had a company called Gym Launch. It did reach $100 million. Him and his partner, Layla, they're brilliant. They're also hustlers. They also work seven days a week. They're of that yeah, kind of Cody says, we hustle, we work. We're still in our 30s. We have the energy to do that. I love them. I love their teachings. Like, cool, like, whatever. Um, but I think that the thing is he's moved into being, he gives a lot of his content away for free, which we're talking about before, like mm -hmm. when there's a that give away their content for free yeah. with the purpose of that he invests in businesses now that right. have hit revenue one, oh, above 1 million up to three to 5 million. He becomes an investor. Got like it. Many others who have been in the space long enough and have made money, they're all becoming investors. Why so, Combinator does that? Like why Combinator has YC Startup School and that's free as a way to get more startups into their pipeline and deal flow. Yeah. So. Cool. So there's, okay. while Y Combinator does that, there are some entrepreneurs out there who've made a lot of money and they realize that scale is no longer the business they built. There's several of them out there doing this, but scale looks like investing in other businesses. Sure. Yep. Alex is well known for this. And so no one wants to piss him off because, you know. Right. So no one, so on threads, he's talking about his book and everyone thinks it's great, but someone else starts talking about their launch and everyone's like, wait, positive vibes. This isn't for selling. Don't sell yourself. Don't sell your, and the irony here is that like the small business person probably needs to be using the new platform where they're getting some traction to be selling the small entrepreneur who hasn't hit a hundred million, you know? 
probably needs to be doing that. And if we are all positive vibes, we should be supporting that in theory. Right. And exactly. It's maybe like vibes. saying, like, yeah. Alex, you're good. Your book's going to sell out. Like you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but now it's like day five. It's already shifted into like, there are already expert. There is, hey, Thinkific, good for you. They are doing a course tomorrow. So soon. On how to like, how to navigate threads, get the most out of it, use it in your marketing. Tomorrow, okay. is that six days later? Yeah. So I want to highlight something. I want to bring something up. So in every tech communication tool, like evolution, radio, television, internet, Twitter, Facebook, all of these things, the time, the trajectory, that time frame of going, freedom, this is amazing, no advertising, people can connect with each other, right? Think about old timey radio, right? It goes through an evolution of like, and then media and brands take over, right? Eventually government gets in there to control, right? And we seen that a lot with Twitter and Facebook in the past several political cycles. But what we're also now, so what we're seeing with threads or what you're telling me and I can surmise is that we saw that evolution happen in like five days flat. Whereas with radio, television, the internet, and then social media, those happened over decades, if not like half a century. Is that... Yeah. That's kind of, <laughs> that's kind of what I'm hearing. Very good point. The news cycle hasn't been allowed in and the political piece isn't really in there yet, but it will be, I'm sure. Um, I saw somebody, uh, a journalist I follow posted, threaded, I don't know what you call it. She, I can't say tweeted. She threaded something about, um, turns out inflation rates are dropping below what was expected. Inflation was 3% lower than what was projected for the month of June, which is great news. That's great news. Bad, great news, by the way. Bad news is no one's talking about it on threads and I can't, fi I can't find any information about it on threads because it's still supposed to be a fun family, friends, connection platform and we're not really getting news here. Mm -hmm. And I guess one of the threads creators uh, responded and was like, yeah, we're not really trying to recreate the news cycle here because basically said something like that doesn't scale or it's not a good business model or which I thought was really. <laughs> Hasn't been like, a good well, business have... model for Facebook and Meta. Yeah. And, she, <laughs> and so she was like, I had to go back to Twitter to just get into conversations about this good news, news. in the right. industry. So that was also interesting too, that it seems like right now they're trying to keep it this whole like social connecting positive vibes for now, which you and I both know. It's not going to last. This is not going to last brands, but it is only day five. Yeah. Good, good on them for trying to like <laughs> not talk inflation and economy and politics or whatever. But I thought that was interesting that, she, you know, okay. Yeah. I think the thing that within the, you know, day two or three that immediately held me back was hearing that you can't delete your account without deleting your Instagram. Like someone, I think one of the women that works for me, someone told me right away, once you sign in, you'll never be able to sign 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 out, you know? Um, yeah. And so that was a huge turnoff. You know, even though it's probably a, a false um, oasis, like in my head, thinking that my WhatsApp, and my Facebook and my Instagram are technically separated, even though they're all owned by the same company. Um, that was one thing that I was like, ah, I'm going to not go forward with this and see how it plays out. I will say uh, I already saw an, in, uh, an article from insider.com saying, asking, is it just another boring brand playground? So <laughs> we are there. <laughs> we are definitely there, it seems. Um, it might be a bubblegum pop brand playground for now, but yes, it seems like it's just another uh, place for 
for brands to extend their reach. Uh, and finally, I just want to thank you for being honest and critical. Uh, criticizing Meta and Facebook has been a longtime hobby of mine. If anyone wants to go search my Flickr <laughs> account from the 2000s, I have screenshots of bugs. I used to, every time there was a bug on Facebook while I was at work, I would take a screenshot and toss it in this Flickr album because I was like, what is this BS? Um, and why does everyone love this thing? This thing is falling It apart. makes me really happy that you did that and that that exists. Uh, you know what I, I will tell you, it also came from a little bit of resentment um, and jealousy because at that time in the 2007, 8, 9, range. If you wanted a job at Facebook to work on the product, you had to be a software developer. And so even though I knew that this platform needed people like me that could breach social and technology, right, that could cover, I mean, cross that chasm, they weren't hiring people like me. And I was very angry about that because I very much at 24 years old wanted a cool startup job. So I took to screenshotting bugs on Facebook and pointing out their problems. Uh, so it was it, it came from it came from jealousy for sure. Let me ask you this because you are an expert in this and you have a good pulse on this. I guess the ultimate when I was on Threads and kind of watching what people were doing on it, the ultimate question for a product, right, is like, why does this need to exist, right? I mean, you're the expert on that. You like, would you agree? Usually, so when you talk about technology and solutions, I always go back to a fundamental premise, which is that human goals and needs seldom change, but technology changes with time. Okay, so think about general communication. It was written letters, you know, and then. We had the phone, uh, we had email, texts, you know, the social media replaced the town hall, the community center, the town crier, right? That brought in the news for everyone to know. Um, why does threads need to exist? I assume my gut answer without spending a lot of time thinking about this is that it probably doesn't, and it's just a business play to fill the void of Twitter. Ding, ding, ding. Exactly. That's right. And that's the other thing is like, do I want to be a player in this game where here I, like, it's kind of silly. It's like the, the townspeople are rejoicing. Finally, something for us. Finally, yeah. somewhere where I can be free. And it's like, no, it's actually just a business play for these much bigger players trying to fight over your attention. Yeah. And you're just a pawn in that game. Listen, you know, no. yeah. From the very beginning of Make Sense, uh, I've brought it up at least once or twice, if not more. Uh, Meta lost $13 billion for the roll of the dice on Metaverse. And they were so off course because everything was built for the Oculus and we are not ready for the Oculus. Like the central, not that we're not ready. It's just like, there's not enough use cases that like the majority of uh, citizens and people want to be using the Oculus. This is evident again in the fact that Apple is pulling back on their Vision Pro glasses. They're pulling back on mm -hmm. how many they're producing. Okay, so I think Mark Zuckerberg has ran out of ideas, uh, to be honest. I mean, the pictures I see of him right now are like he's training with MMA fighters to take Elon Musk on in a fight. I really like don't know, but I think it's probably time for him to step down uh, as the CEO of that company. Um, but yeah, I think he's ran out of ideas. I think uh, Threads is a really like cheap play, but what should we expect from Instagram? They just tried to keep up with TikTok by launching Reels, um, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, to an extent, Reels probably kept some of their user base, although most people are just taking what they create on TikTok and reposting it right. to Instagram. 
So yeah, uh, I feel like it's just another kind of them running out of ideas. But what I am not surprised about is that they even did this in the first place, because one of the predictions and that we've talked about on Make Sense is not listed today is that there's going to be a clash of super apps to take over people's online lives. So while a lot of us are actually looking for niche communities that aren't so algorithm based so that we can authentically connect with each other without worrying about how many likes and follows and whatever. At the same time, like Google and Meta primarily are fighting to like take over our digital lives. Right. Yeah. So, um, all right. Now that we're done with that segment, thank you for going for a ride with me on that one. <laughs> Here is our main event. For fans of Make Sense, you know the first segment is almost always Crystal Ball. What does the future hold? So a reminder, Crystal Ball, this is where I call out interesting predictions for this year and the experts, my guests, tell us their hot take. Now, I did a review of eight predictions with Evelyn Freisan uh, a couple episodes back. And with Sally being, you know, our 25th recording, which is very exciting, we're dedicating this episode to hit other predictions that have come up so far. Uh, Sally, you are certainly a multi-hyphenate business coach and consultant. You've described yourself as a mastermind and business shaman, although maybe a clients have called you that as totally a client <laughs> for the record totally a client <laughs> i will say i used to call myself the engineer whisperer and i made that up <laughs> i made that up so i mean i think we, yeah yeah, yeah. I don't have to really think about anything i've made up no okay. i can't say i'm confident that this is going to be awesome so as a reminder this is how crystal ball works. I'm going to bring up each prediction and tell you, I want you to say, if you know about the thing, say, yes, this is happening or no, it's not going to happen quite yet. If you maybe don't know anything about it, you can say, yes, I want that to happen or no, please. No. Okay. Right. No, uh, please. <laughs> so part one, I broke them into three parts. So you're an entrepreneur that works outside of the center. All entrepreneurs work outside of, of the center. So I'm going to start with um, education. This prediction is that the school to work path is turned on its head. So companies dropping degree requirements, colleges stepping up their competition with each other things like that, kind of turning the whole idea that we go to school, we go to college, we get a job and turning that kind of very linear path on its head. I think pipe dreams. Look at me, yeah. like, I'm doing a game show. I'm like, my answer is pipe <laughs> dreams. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And so fun. And here's why. Yeah, please. I remember what we don't talk about. And, it, and as an entrepreneur, I would love that. And if I had kids, I would love that. And what we don't talk about is that our school system, if you ever tried to teach in the school system or change anything, and then you find out how impossible it is, it's because it's very intertwined into politics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's not like the whole system is kind of rigged in a certain way. And even what entrepreneurship is doing and the ability to learn outside of school, like a lot of my clients say my program is like an MBA in a box. I'm like, yeah, and I didn't learn this stuff in my MBA. Yeah. Right. But the there's a political hand in the education system. And as long as that is the case, that system will stay in place and that will be the feeding ground for certain jobs and certain positions. And that won't change. Yeah. So it has to the, the for that to change, it has to be really higher up that makes right. 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 So that is interesting. So one, I do, I do know that uh, the unemployment rate amongst people with college degrees is still significantly lower than those with high school degrees or unfinished high school degrees. So there still is a bonus, you know, a prize 
for getting that undergraduate degree, places, some places have dropped degree requirements, like Pennsylvania State dropped it on like 2,000 open positions or something, which definitely opens up uh, the workforce. And I also know that colleges are coming up to an enrollment cliff because more people are questioning whether they should go or they should get an associate's degree or start at community college. Um, but I agree with you 100% that I don't think the whole school to work path is just going to be turned on its head and definitely not in 2023. No, I wish I wish that were true. Right. But no, I think a bigger systematic change has to happen for, for something like that to happen. All right. So next one, shorter work weeks will become more prevalent. So you talk a lot on your Instagram about the fallacy of kind of busyness and the need for entrepreneurs to take a rest. So what will it take for both entrepreneurs and employees to slow down? I think that's happening. I do think that that is happening. And I think one of the things is um, how we use tools and leverage certain tools to our advantage, okay? To get our work done in a certain amount of time. Mm -hmm. and, our, and, and there is, I'm noticing there is more of an awareness around mindset in a lot of industries now and time management, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that that's true and very possible. I see it happening. And I'll give you an example. Just today, a client of mine voice noted me and said to me literally just a few hours before this. So, so really relevant to this question. And she said to me, I just did your time audit again. And I was more honest to this time because I didn't have you, like I wasn't walking her through it. So she went in, she was wondering where her time was going and she filled in the time audit again and did it more honestly. And then she realized, oh my God, I am actually spending more hours than I care to admit on social media. Mm -hmm. And so now seeing it in this way that you created for me, I can totally see why I'm not moving the needle on these bigger projects and closing these bigger deals, why I feel like I'm working so much and not getting anywhere. And I have this awareness and, and she was like, how do you handle this? And, you know, and I was like, I use the tools that I yeah. gave you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I use my CEO dashboard. I use my action plan. I, I actually follow it. Mm -hmm. Right. I look at the action plan for this week. I look at the action plan for this month and this quarter and I follow it. And when I start to get antsy, I stand up and I go walk and I take a breath rather than sit and spin. And I think that there's starting to be tools that help people do this better. Mm -hmm. um, and absolutely, we can eventually shorten the work week. And also even in corporate, right? In summer, corporates have summer Fridays. So right. Everyone's kind of half there until noon anyway, and then they leave. So that's already happening in one industry, mm -hmm. right? As entrepreneurs develop these skills around leveraging their time through team, becoming better leaders, becoming better delegators, understanding time management, understanding the social media time suck. Right. Then, yeah, absolutely. Totally possible. Yeah. And I do see it happening. Okay. Awesome. I would love that. I know that tracking my own time over the past seven, eight years, uh, I've actually noticed, um, well, two things, tracking my time and then also the Pomodoro method keep me from hyper-focusing or getting lost in the sauce of things that aren't worth it. Uh, but uh, time tracking has actually made me that see that my capabilities as far as like doing productive work taps out every week at like 35 hours. So, Absolutely. so, you know, and this is thinking work, including talks and meetings, but like thinking and production work. Um, 35 hours is like my max. I have to work very hard to like motivate and push myself to be able to do more. And my brain starts to really slow down. So I do think that if we focus more on outcomes instead of, you know, butts in seats and, and a certain amount of hours clocked that people could take a lot more time to rest. That would be ideal. Yeah. And I think the more we have this awareness 
about Pomodoro, about people's efficiencies, how people perform mm -hmm. better. And, you know, the more education we have on that, I think we're going to see it. Yeah. And if you know that your mental capacity is like 32 to 35 hours, then I'm much more strategic with how I allot my time because I don't want to burn those cells on, on, on social media. Right. So makes sense. Yeah. And just for those of you that don't know Pomodoro method, the general idea is that you work for 25 minutes and you maybe get up and move around for five minutes or you work for 52 minutes or something and then you get up and do something else for eight. What that looks like in my life is that I set timers on my phone and like toss my phone into the corner of my office so I can't just like turn it off. I have to like get up from my chair um, and that breaks any, it, it helps if I'm procrastinating, I can say, oh, I only have to do this for 25 minutes, or it keeps me from, you know, spending two hours on something that really only was allotted 25 minutes. So that's what Pomodoro is. I want to get into headlines part two. Okay. Because you had your own clothing line. All right. Prediction next. Bio-based materials will boom particularly wearing mushrooms and seaweed. So scientists are transforming substances into next-gen materials. For instance, designers and manufacturers are turning to plant-based solutions like mushrooms and seaweed for making clothes. By 2023? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, very slowly. And I feel like it will be a niche niche audience, niche product, niche designers that do it. For a while, at yeah. least. Um, it's kind of like bamboo, you know, right? Like, like, aren't there, I mean, there still are brands that are making clothes out of bamboo, but it hasn't moved out of the niche. Yeah, it had its moment. It was a little niche and it stayed niche. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't think that's going to be any different. Yeah. We did have one guest that said she was in... Lake Como in Italy and did see clothes that were made with seaweed. So it will be interesting to see. I would just like to see the fashion industry to be more efficient with the materials they already use. They just throw so much stuff out. Um, so let's let let's move on the the efficiency of the materials they have and and creating less waste, right? Yeah. And there are actually techniques and software and products to help them be more efficient, but they don't invest in them. Yeah. So. I've seen the startups. I've seen some of those startups coming through. So, all right. Next prediction, using the sea to power electronics. So there's enough energy in the motion of the ocean to meet the world's entire energy demand, but the technology is in its infancy. So this prediction says we're kind of almost there it's in its infancy but do you think it's a good idea you know like we harvest wind for wind farms should we harvest wave energy for electricity that's really interesting i mean in theory i think it's a good idea i don't know enough about this subject yeah. i think that you know from i think it's always going to battle other energy sources which again have to do with Political Politics. power, <laughs> economy, and the the bigger players in those fields. I think it's a good idea. I think I wonder how that impacts what's happening in the ocean already, and how like these heat, heat waves and in, and ocean movement are what creates more catastrophic, one hundred percent, and things like that. So I would wonder like what is the impact of that? I mean, wouldn't it be cool if we could? like take some of the energy out of a hurricane or a tsunami, like, or even just like, I was just in Venice, right? And they have a whole system, uh, you know, to keep the rising tides from getting too high and, and flooding the city. Um, so it could imagine uh, certain places, New Orleans maybe, where we could you know, in addition to dunes, we have these machines that are taking the energy to convert to electricity. And at the same time, that helps with flooding or 
like dam like erosion issues. Obviously, we don't know the impact, the total impact, because the ocean right. is a system we don't understand. But it it sounds like it could be promising. It could be promising. It could be promising. Who's willing to back it and the political changes that need that's a whole other story. But promising, yes. Yes. Okay. So next prediction commercialization of the moon in earnest. The goal is not just to get people and machines on the moon, but also to sustain operations there. Do you want that? I think it's inevitable. <laughs> and for anyone that's anyone that's listening on Spotify I, or, or Apple or podcast anywhere, just so you know, the faces that Sally are making is making are amazing. Um, yeah, sad, punctuated, baffled, <laughs> questioning. I think it's just human nature. It's like, like we can't slow that exploration down. Yeah. Do I want that? No. But there are Elon Musks in the world. You know? Yeah. And <laughs> I don't know what it is. Big ego problems. I don't know. But I don't think we can... I, I think it's inevitable. I think that's sad, but I think it's inevitable. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'm not sure. I I, I agree with you. There's some resignation there. Uh, I don't know if that's where I want to be investing our research dollars, but... No. Let the moon be the moon. You know what I mean? <laughs> Let the moon be the moon. We are humans for a reason. We're having a human experience for a reason, regardless of what you believe. You are you in this body having this human experience. I am me. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, like have that full experience. Like life is hard enough. Being human is hard enough. It's complicated enough. It's twisted. It's turny. Like you're figuring out who you are, what you're doing. How do you make impact? How do you make money? How do you survive? How do you not kill your family or your partners? Right? How do you deal with social media pressure? And, and now all this newfound anxiety and stress and all these things that humans are now dealing with that they weren't before on so this we have level. To up the ante and go to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of like, leave the moon alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Headlines part three. So being an entrepreneur is hard. Being a woman is hard. Life is difficult. So let's go. Next prediction. Mental health will become the new annual physical. So one in five Americans experience mental illness. Will our primary care doctors be checking in on our mental health just as much as our physical health each year? Yes. Yeah, I think that one is. Yeah. All right, next one. There's way too much data and way too many studies and way too much attention on it for it to not. Yeah, so. I, I think it, it's going, and, and I don't think it should be hard on another episode with Kat Hoffman, we talked about the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, and I mentioned that, you know, there's like these 10 point questionnaires that psychiatrists have to ask like once every six months with each of their patient ongoing patients. So it may it makes sense or it seems easy to just give that questionnaire to <laughs> to <laughs> a, a doctor, the, your, your your regular doctor. So all right. <laughs> Good Next prediction, femtech turns to menopause. So more famous women are leading the menopause conversation. More startups are turning to underserved issues like menopause as the women's health space continues to expand. Absolutely. No brainer. No brainer. All right. Next up, no tox tweakments. So non-investment treatments such as LED facials, Skin rejuvenations will help consumers replicate the effects of a cosmetic procedure without the cost, pain, or downtime. Absolutely. Yes. Cool. When is it happening? Is it happening? I mean, I, I don't know if it it's happening. It, that's happening for sure. Yeah. Um, I think like I have a handheld laser device, you know, that's on the market. So you for something like $200, you can start doing your own laser treatments at home. I think the other person that I interviewed, Devanshi Gargsreen, she said she's just concerned that the consumers might feel that they can get the same outcomes as they would with a professional and that possibly there would be a gap and misunderstanding 
in what they're able to achieve. And yeah, of course. But like the fashion industry has been banking on that for, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. Five you mean like, like lower brand, lower uh, label brand? Yeah. Buy this brand. Oh, you can't buy the knockoff that looks just like it, feel like everyone else. Right. I mean, there's like the smile direct versus Invisalign. You know, uh, mm-hmm. I've done, I did smile direct, but my teeth corrections were very small. Right. And so it's about knowing that like what you want to accomplish really requires Invisalign and a bigger investment versus maybe what I was trying to accomplish was small and Smile Direct would work for me. So right. I like sense. the point. I like the point about fashion labels. All right, next one. I can't get off this prediction. Uh immortality as a service. So humans. <laughs> eyebrows raised. Humans have fantasized about extreme lifespans for millennia, but the age-old pursuit is now attracting fresh interest from VCs and tech companies. Absolutely. You think so? Oh, I, I know so. I have clients in that space. I know what they talk about. I know what's going on there. They, they're doing it. They're working on it. What um, kinds of technologies or, or treatments? Well, actually, you know, the rise of functional medicine and, you know, Peter Attia speaks about this a lot, but there are a lot of VCs and investors and in your old stomping ground, people obsessed with this, and there are already rejuvenation therapies being used. Mm-hmm. So in my world where I have a lot of doctors who are in my family, and then I have some clients who are in the world economic space, they have and VC space, they have friends who are investing in these things. So I think it's happening. I think there's someone, I'm going to find this data for you. Mm -hmm. There's someone who is looking into really well-known guy has like frozen his father because he thinks that the technology will be available to anyway. Yeah. This stuff is happening. People are doing this and there are people who really believe that they will create some immortality, which do I think, do I believe it needs to happen or do uh, do I support it? No, I think that we should develop a relationship with death mm-hmm. because it's just our fear of death, right? Right. And again, we're here as humans. So um, I think that we have so much fear around death and loss and just, especially in Silicon Valley, the thought of losing that now we're obsessed with youth regeneration and immortality but yeah it's happening there's yeah i i think there's a lot of investment going into that space it's wild you're probably the first person on the show to offer those insights um most people have just been like don't want that to happen do we need that to happen like is it just going to be for rich people is it another way for the super wealthy to hold on to their power um lots of all of the above all of the above and what i can say is it's happening the thing that surprises me with the venture capital investing is that when you are startup pitching to vcs you have to prove a certain market size like at least $1 billion market size, right? And you have to prove that enough people want this service. And I just want to know really how many people out there would live forever if given the opportunity. Like how many people actually want to live forever? Well, that is a great question. I was at a mastermind recently with several of my um, friends and colleagues. It's a mastermind, a bit of a mindset. It's my Mm -hmm. mindset that I've been a part of for a long time. And that was one of the questions on a night that we, we played. And now mind you, this is a room full of certified mindset coaches, right? Okay. So a little more, you know, people who are like very self-aware, balanced Mm -hmm. practices, living your best life energy yes all the things and i thought everyone would answer no i don't want to live forever and i was really surprised at how many at how split the room was on that one okay so i hear you and i was really surprised that some of my friends and colleagues and people that i find to be really wise were like yeah i would live forever if i could and i was like 
what? Well, I'm hoping people that listening to Make Sense are spending time thinking about whether this is something they really want. Live longer, sure. Live and overcome certain diseases that we don't have, you know, treatments yet for. Awesome. Yeah. You know, take care of the machine parts that are, you know, inside your body, just like you would a car to increase its mileage and lifespan. Yes living forever to live forever that is the piece i would challenge everyone listening to really think about okay i had a grand i had three grandparents live until their 90s okay so <laughs> i know what that looks like and they're beautiful lives and hopefully i live that long too it's genetic so awesome but um you know, you watch a lot of the people dear to you die along the way. And that's really mm -hmm. hard. You know, yeah. that is really hard. And, you know, there's parts of your body that just weren't meant to like live that long. And I've seen both grandparents that have lost their minds first before their body and others that have lost their body before their minds. And both are incredibly frustrating experiences. So yeah, yeah I'm sure I have no interest in living forever. I think those you've made really, really good points. And I do think it's more about our ability to actually get comfortable with the, with the reality that we will die. Mm -hmm. I think that makes some people so uncomfortable mm -hmm. that it's just easier to go, oh yeah, I, I want to live forever. I love my life. I, you know, I love this life. I love what I've created. I love what I've built or whatever. Okay. And I want to live forever. And that's what some of the billionaires in Silicon Valley are doing, by the way, they're mm -hmm. really, they're, they're really investing in this. Um, but I think it's also just a matter of, we're just uncomfortable to sit with the fact that we too will die. Yeah, We'll someday. die. It's real. Yeah. It's real. You know, I'm going to end it on that one. There was only one more prediction, but I'd rather go into our last segment. Uh, who who needs a safety net? <laughs> In this segment, I asked my guests to share the risks, failures, nay, learning lessons of entrepreneurship and creating their own paths into the future. So like, back in June, you shared on LinkedIn your number one mistake you made as a young entrepreneur. I love a good failure story. I don't think we talk about failure enough. I know you agree because at a certain point, we all need to learn that failures are really learning lessons, right? Yeah. So could you share with us um, your story and your lesson and, and possibly how that story and lesson, you know, has formed what you do with your clients right now? Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you that particular one, but I will say for the record, I've had many failures and I think that's only fair. And <laughs> I'm, I'm learning to actually teach from my failures and share them more and more and more because I have no problem with sharing them in transparency. And I actually think people learn from my stories and I think that it helps people go, Oh, you've been there too. You did that too. And that's why you're teaching me this, this way. Right. <laughs> You so know, I have of them. <laughs> I will say, and I just want to build off that. Like, I have a ton of failures too, right? Like blind spots I missed, people I shouldn't have trusted, you know, ventures mm -hmm. that I pursued, um, stuff that I ignored. I think, you know, in the entrepreneurial world, but probably in all worlds, like successful people tell their stories as if they could legitimately explain how that success happened, right? But the reality is, is that it's harder to explain and duplicate a success. It's much easier to learn from other people's failures, right? And, and course correct based on those insights. Um, if you try to follow every everyone's perfect blueprint for success, it's very it, it you're going to be disappointed. I learned I worked with career coaches when I worked full time, and one of them said, "Hey, you're working for startups. Figure out what you want to learn." And what I learned all the time was not how to do things, but what I shouldn't do <laughs> and what I shouldn't avoid doing. So, all right, let's launch into that. Failures, so important. Keep, go on. 
So, well, in this particular story, I would say that in that business, I will say that I, I had a fat. So for context, I had a fashion label. I started it very young. I sell a white space in a certain industry. I tested an idea and it took off. And there were a lot of reasons why. And it took off with, I mean, literally I started it with $2,000. So I started a company with $2,000. It took off because I had a lot of data already working for me. I was a really average sized person in a dance world and a dance environment. And I was never a super thin dancer my whole life. So I had a lot of data about what women really want in terms of their dresses and how they want them to fit and how they can look flattering and all these things. And I made them really fun and edgy and sexy. And the irony about this is that it's a product-based business. And we all know that in a product-based business, you need to, I don't care where you do it. You can do it on paper, you can do it on Excel, but you need to know your margins per product, mm -hmm. cost of goods sold, you know, all you the need economics. Yeah. You need to know you need your economics. economics. And I even had a family friend who kind of graciously mentored me through this period in my life. Um, like an unofficial mentor because he was a business owner and my both of my parents are not entrepreneurs. So they were kind of like head in hands. Oh my yeah. God, my daughter. Is, were they could... scared for you? Because both my uh, parents are self-employed and... They sometimes look at me with fear in their eyes. And I'm like, but you know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely scared, always worried. Our conversations were always the same, not supportive. That's a whole other conversation about just being wired as an entrepreneur. Um, but this mentor would sit me down and just kind of say, show me the numbers right? Show me the numbers, show me your profits, show me your products, show me your sales. Like let's, let's do this breakdown. And I would just say to him, no, my business doesn't work that way. I'm different. You don't get me. I'm different. And I love this, that I used to say this because I get so many clients that go, well, but will your stuff work for me? Because I'm different. Because the truth is, I saw somebody post about this recently, and I can't remember who it was, but like, we all think that we're so special and so different, but that's actually our fear masking our not wanting to do things that we're scared of or uncomfortable in or don't feel good at or don't feel smart at, right? So you are not above the numbers. You're not too good for the numbers. Mm -hmm. You are not different. Mm -hmm. So, but I really, I really like held on to this for a long time. And I really would argue with him on this. Like, you don't get me. This is a creative pursuit. You're in pharmaceuticals. You don't understand. Fashion is creative. What sells my product is the fit and the style and the creativity. I'm different. So I literally ran that business for years, never really with a financial plan at all, which I can't believe I'm saying that out loud because any of my clients would be absolutely shocked considering how I really teach simple business numbers in all of my programs. Um, but I did that because I had a fear of math mm -hmm. and I believed I was bad at math. Mm -hmm. I believed I was mad at math because I feel like the way math is taught in schools and if, you know, it's always like, boys are better at math. And if, if you don't get it right away, the first way the teacher explained it, there, you know, math teachers in the system doesn't actually try to teach you differently or get you to, to understand it differently. It's just like, oh, you just don't get it. So I grew up believing I was bad at math. Turns out I'm not, by the way. It turns out I'm actually really good at math. I'm sure you are. I can't actually, believe it. Being focused on like systems and processes, you have to be. Very, very good at math. I just didn't realize that math had to be made applicable to me. And once it's applicable, I'm like, oh, yes. Okay. Numbers telling me a story. Yes. I can get down with this. Let me do this formula. Let me do these calculations. Yeah, you know? um, and even like, I like making patterns and pattern making is all geometry. Right. So I like various forms of math, it turns out, but I was operating from a place of believing I was bad at math. Mm -hmm. So just like all my clients do, we all do this in some area of our businesses, by the way, it's not always in the math, but I just decided to stuff it down and not look at it. 
I was like, mm-hmm. I will outwork it. I will outrun it. I will outcreate it. I will be different. And I won't look at my numbers. And it's probably one of the biggest mistakes I made because when you don't have a financial plan or a projections plan or a sales plan, you never really know where you stand, which also then means you feel like you can never take a break. Mm-hmm. If you have the possibility to have a cyclical business, use the numbers to have a cyclical business and give yourself a damn vacation. Right. But I worked probably seven days a week for nine years Mm -hmm. because I didn't have that plan and I didn't have that kind of confidence. And yeah, I was in my twenties and I had that kind of energy. I was also exhausted, consistently burnt out, kind of resentful of my business you know, but I was open seven days a week. I ran a little boutique. People would make appointments mostly on weekends. Like I had no life rather than saying, yeah, I hit my sales goal for the month. I'm closing up shop and I'm going out of town. I've never once did that, Mm -hmm. which is insanity. Right. So there are some business fundamentals that we all avoid because we feel discomfort in them or we feel embarrassed or we feel shame for having not done them or not knowing them or not being good enough in them. And oftentimes it's like the simplest fix to give you your life back. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love teaching. So when I tell the story, my clients are like, you didn't like the numbers? Like what? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I've created these systems on how to teach you numbers easily because I understand what it feels like mm-hmm. to not be a numbers person. Um, But that was probably one of my biggest ones because I paid the price. Honestly, I paid the price with my youth and with my time. And I lived in Argentina at the time. And people will always ask me, like, have you been to, you know, uh, Iguazu? And I'll be like, no. Have you been to Perito Moreno? And I'm like, no. Have you been to Patagonia? No. Have you been to the, like, the lakes? And I'm like, no. And I'm like, what? And people are like, what did you do for nine years in Argentina? And I'll say, oh, I ran my business. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I ran a business. I wasn't there on vacation. Right. And people look at me dumbfounded. And and now I agree with them. Yes. Pretty dumb, right? Yeah. 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 What do they say? Youth is wasted on the young. I mean, that one was really true. Yeah. But the myth. I made a lot of mistakes uh, as well, you know, like pulling people in to call them my co-founder when they weren't entrepreneurial themselves. So I spent more time like building, learning, reteaching myself how to code instead of focusing just on the customer and delivering what could help customers in that moment. Um, yeah, there's there's ton of the, tons of those mistakes. And I think in your 20s, we kind of like think like, work as hard as we can so that we can make it big and retire early. There's kind of these fantasies that we, that we have. Um, But we just don't have all of the experience to understand what can actually be true for us and what we actually need to feel whole and like what we're actually capable of doing. Like I said, in my thirties, I learned I could really tap out after 35 hours each week of, of, of thoughtful work. So. Yeah. And I think, and to that point, I, I don't think I ever had the desire to retire young, but I do think when you're an early entrepreneur, you are kind of, it feels like you're on this race and it's like a race to what? This Mm -hmm. is actually the life that you've chosen, Mm -hmm. the career path that you've chosen. So you need to make it work for the life that you want. Right. And I don't know what I was racing towards because I wasn't trying to retire, but I did feel like I was definitely racing it on a hamster wheel for 10 years. Yeah. So I think the point is also what people don't teach you because it's not the normal journey that most people go on is that you can be an entrepreneur and have a normal life. Mm-hmm. And you, and there are ways to plan that in and there are ways to you know, prepare yourself for that rather than feeling like you're on some race to sell the business or to retire early or like, no, it, you, it can also just be a life choice because I realize now myself, like I'm kind of unemployable at this point. I'm right. way too much of a polymath. I know too much. I like when something's not built, I'm like, fine, 
I'll go build it. I'll build it myself. Like but that doesn't work when you're inside a company because then people think you're stepping on their toes. Uh- <laughs> and when I've been inside companies in corporate, people thought I was stepping on their toes just for trying to do a good. In my mind, I was like, I was just trying to do a good job. Right. Yeah. Okay. I used to really struggle with the misfit thing and the um, feeling like I didn't know how to play well with others in the sandbox. Right. Um, yeah, oh so I mean, it boggled my mind because I was always so confused by that. Because in my mind, I was really trying to do a good job, mm-hmm. and I would get reprimanded. So yeah. I realized, oh, I'm I'm just an entrepreneur at heart, and how do I make this life work for me? Yeah, when thinking about. Um the inception of make sense. I looked at a lot of different angles and, and a different angle of this podcast was originally, um, was uh, not originally, but was alternatively, uh, go big and go home. Uh, <laughs> cause, cause I find that people like when we think, um, go big or go home, we fall into the patterns that you, Sally, describe, which is just like working seven days a week and thinking that's how you go big. And yeah, if you work like that, it is a either or, right? And and you, you go home because you're burnt out, because you failed, because you didn't like think of all aspects and angles of your business. So I always want to promote and in working with my entrepreneurs, like, I, I want you to go, I want you to take risks. But like maybe, and I, I never use the term with them, but it's like sometimes I would feel in comparing myself to other Silicon Valley like coaches that I was pushing my entrepreneurs to go medium. Like, <laughs> like you know, like I want you to take a risk and step out of your comfort zone, but I don't want you to set yourself up for like uh, you have a one in 100 chance of this working. Like I want to set that next step for you as you have a one in four chance of this working yet, but like we can be calculated about that chance. Right. So um, that was the, that was another angle of this podcast was like, uh, go big and go home. I love that. (laughs) I think more people need to hear that. Please use that. Um, Because you can go big and go home. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So well, that's really, that's a, I love that tagline. <laughs> well, Sally, I know we could like keep on going forever. Um, this is probably going to be one of the longer episodes, but I'm okay with that. So let's make it make sense. Uh, Instagram's thread seems like a total business play to replace Twitter with it'll, whether it'll work or not mm, remains to mm. be seen, but the brands are there. Brands are coming government, politics, all of that is coming. It's just how media and communication tools evolve. We've seen it over and over again. We went through a bunch of predictions and I learned that immortality as a service is definitely moving forward more than I had anticipated. I hope you all learned something new too. So thank you for listening to Make Sense with me, your host, Lindsay Tavis and guest Sally Arias, we hope you enjoyed our take on all of those topics. Um, Sally, where can we people find you online? Easy is my website is grownassbusiness.com. Oh, yeah, grownass business. <laughs> That's easy. And um, on Instagram, where I make all this funny content and say all these things, it's uh, I am Don Celia. D-O-N-C-E-L-I-A. I am done, Celia. I love that. I love that. We will, as always, you can check out all the links and resources in the show notes. Uh, final note, if you want to continue, obviously you do, to be the smartest person in the room, make sure you're getting notified when each episode hits on YouTube. Hit the subscribe and for audio only, follow wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Sally, for joining me. You're very welcome. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. I'm so glad.